Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. We're doing something this morning that we do every year and we try to do often. We're talking about the heart of who we are as a church, what really matters to us as Legacy Church. And we do this often because we found that human beings are very good forgetters. And so we're talking about the things that, that matter most, who we are, what we're about, and what we really hope and pray that we'll see take place through us as a church. And I want to show you something this morning. Take a look at this. Does anyone know what this is? What do we call this? It's our mission statement. Would you mind, can you say this with me this morning? We'll say it together. Ready? One, two, three. We help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. Great. Listen, last week, uh, Brandon started this series, and he talked about what does it mean to find your identity in Jesus. Were you here for that? Yeah, he did a fantastic job. He talked about who I am and who you are. It's not how you're perceived by others. It's not what you possess or what you produce in this world, which is really great news because the, the, really the great news is that God's acceptance and love isn't about how good I am or how generous I am, or how smart I am, or how strong I am, or how successful I am. And that's great news because if it was about that, then I would always be wondering. I would always be wondering if I was good enough or if I had made it across some holy line for God. But the good news is that God's acceptance and love is given to us through Jesus Christ freely to all who would receive it. Amen? If you think Brandon did a great job last week, say amen. Can you give him that? Fantastic. I think so too. The next step for us then is to talk about this. If we find our identity in Jesus, if who we really are and what we think about ourselves is rooted in who He is, that I belong to Him and He lives in me, then that will tell us a lot about what we're to do with all of our days and what matters in all of our days. What do we do? How do we behave? What do we live? What do we pursue? What is our, our mission? And I think about this, a lot of times we're very quick to move to outward behaviors, to discern, to command, to demand, to, to criticize, to judge outward behaviors in ourselves and, and others. But we realize this, that really your behavior has so much to do with your identity, that your identity determines so much of your behavior. I'll give you a couple examples. Here's a negative example. If you think of yourself as being a loser, like that's what you believe about yourself, then you will find yourself in your life stuck in a perpetual cycle of making poor decisions because that's who you believe you are and you get stuck there. If the thing that you think most about yourself is that you're a survivor because you've had to face tough things in life and you faced them, you faced them head on and you made it through those things and that's what you think about yourself when you think about yourself, then you will continue a pattern of self-protection and perseverance and you will just, you'll knock any wall down. And here's the thing, if we have clarity about who Jesus is and about who we are in Christ, that's going to tell us a lot about our place and His mission. Does that make sense? It should make sense. Because we know this, we know that God sent the Son, Jesus, to earth. He incarnated. He, he went from being eternal Jesus to putting on flesh and came to earth to accomplish God's mission. And we're told on the day he resurrected from the grave, he looked at his followers and he said to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So Jesus, who came in the flesh on mission, continues to be on mission even today through you, through his church, through, through every, every Christian. 
And I want you to understand something about this. It's not like God one day realized I've got all these people and they're, they're mine. They belong to me. These are the people of God. Now I've got to come up with something for them to do because they seem bored and I need to occupy their time because they'll get restless. And so I've got to come up with something. God didn't make a mission for His people, but God has a people that He's made for His mission. God has always been on this mission from the beginning. God made the world, and from the moment the world turned its back on God, God has been making a family for Himself. God is a going and sending God to accomplish this mission. Consider it. God creates the world. The world falls into sin. People turn their back on God, and God in His mercy doesn't turn his back on them, but instead sends the Son. The Son goes. He leaves eternity. He comes to earth, and he accomplishes God's mission, the will of the Father. He dies for us. He raises from the grave for us. He ascends to the Father. And then what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes. He goes out, and he comes upon his people, among the people of God. And what does he do with the people of God? He gifts them. He equips them. He sends them, and the people of God go. And what do we do as we go? What is our mission as a church? It's to expand the reach and the impact of Jesus' kingdom on earth. And you can see it. This is the way it has always been for God and for the people of God. We're a going and sending kind of people. But here's the thing that I've realized with time, and you've probably realized it too. It's really hard to always be a going and sending kind of people. Sometimes it's actually hard to get started in being a going and sending kind of people. I think it's because it's so easy for us to turn in on ourselves once we've received salvation, once our minds and hearts have been opened up to such beauty and such power. It's very easy for us to then love the gospel and love coming together and love reading the Bible and love singing our songs and love each other and in the process ignore the world around us. And some of that may be simply because we're terrified to talk about Jesus to others. I don't know if, if that's the way you feel or not, but, but times I, I look around and I go, my goodness, what is it going to cost me if I talk about Jesus to others? Have you ever felt that before? We're terrified. We, we're afraid of what we might lose in relationship and in, in place and status where we work. What will people think when they find that I'm a Jesus freak? That's for you old school DC Talk fans right there. Okay, uh, what will people think? Sometimes we're just terrified because we don't know how to start. Like, what even, what even do I, I say? But I love this. A guy named Matthew Cruz wrote a book called What Church Can Be, and I think this is brilliant. He said, we, the church, exists not exclusively but pronouncedly to help outsiders become insiders. Do you like that? We exist not exclusively but pronouncedly to help outsiders become insiders. And that's, that's what we're here for. That's why we're here and we're not up there. That's why, why we haven't been taken up yet. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. That's why we're still here and not there. I remember Billy Graham was once asked, if Jesus' return is like the thing that all of the Christians love, it's the thing that we preach, the thing that we pray for, the thing that we desire, the thing that we long for, why hasn't He come back yet? And Billy Graham with poise and just calmness and surety said, because the Lord is patient. The Lord's giving opportunity for more people to hear about Jesus and to turn to Him in faith. And he had 2 Peter 3 in mind where Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow about His promise, but He's patient. 
Lord's patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, church, our charge as a church for every Christian is a biblical charge. It's the Great Commission. It's to go and make disciples of every nation. It's to be, Acts 1, Jesus' witnesses everywhere we go to the ends of the earth. Or as Brandon said last week, and I'll quote him, he said, when you find your identity in Christ, you are Jesus' ambassador. You are His spokesman here on earth. And I added a picture of Brandon so you would know it was him who said it. And I added that picture because he put a silly picture of me up last week, and this was the best way to handle that situation. I hope you agree. We just look at it for a second. Isn't that lovely? I'm feeling, isn't he lovely in my head right now? Can you hear the song? <laughs> now, listen, as we, as we talk about mission today and the mission of the people of God, showing and telling the gospel What I want to talk to you about is how do we do that? How do we live on mission in a time, in a place, in a world, in a culture, in a nation, even in a town, a community, in which more and more people are resistant to the message of Jesus, in which more and more people maybe couldn't care less about the message that we have. They're disinterested because increasingly we're learning that people just They're not that interested in in good old church community, good old biblical values. It's just not on their radar. And we've talked about, even this year, how so many churches and Christians have wound themselves up, and the message of Jesus has been entangled with the message of politics and the message of what's cool and trending, and it's made a mess. It's made so much confusion around who Jesus is and what He really wants for people, and it's, it's really turned a lot of people away from who we are as a church. We've also talked about in recent years about the beauty of the community, the particular community in which we live, where so much of our community has changed. The demographic has changed. People from the entire world are moving to Plano, Texas and to the surrounding cities around us. It's an amazing place to live and to work and to raise a family because you don't have just this one-note, one-tone culture that you're living in, but it's like the, the, the ends of the earth are right here in our backyard, and we get to experience that. And it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but at the same time, it means a lot of the people who are moving into our community aren't people who are moving in just saying, well, you know, where's a Christian church for me to join? But they're coming in and they're deeply wound, deeply affiliated with all kinds of of different world religions. And they're not interested in, in just walking in our doors and hearing about the message of Jesus Christ. And so, I, I want to I talk to you about this because I don't believe that God is done working yet. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah. I don't believe that we're done doing our part in carrying the message of Christ to the world. Do you agree with me on that? But I do think that we have to face the reality that some things in our world, some things in our culture, some things in our community has changed. Now, I found this really helpful. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis wrote a book called Everyday Church. This is really helpful for me. They said, if we could place people on a range from one to 10, depending on their interest in the gospel, where one is, I'm not interested at all, and 10 is a decision to follow Jesus, sign me up. Lots of evangelism assumes people are at around an eight, okay? So, we teach our gospel outlines. We teach answers to apologetic questions. We hold guest services. We put on evangelistic courses. We preach in the open air. We knock on doors. All of these things are great things to do, but 70% of the population is at a one or two. That's interesting, right? 
I don't know if it's exactly true or not. It's very interesting, and it feels like it's true. And if it is true, well, then how do we live on mission in a place where people just don't care? Or they say, I'm definitely not interested. How do we show and tell the gospel in our lives in such a way that people might come into a community, might be around a people, and see and experience Jesus, His love, His grace, and His salvation for themselves? Well, I, I think, and I believe this is really, really good news for us, I think one of the things we have to face is that through all the generations of, of missional strategies and evangelistic strategies that have been developed to meet people where they are, maybe the thing that we must do in this day is come back to exactly what we read about in the Bible in the first century, the first generation of the church, that that might be the most effective way we might look at and carry out mission in the age and the day that we live in. And so, do this. Grab your Bible, turn to Colossians 4. This is an incredible passage when we think about how do we carry mission into a world that is resistant or that just doesn't care. It's one passage that's really helpful. Uh, Paul's writing to the church of Colossae. If you're with us in 2019, we walk through Colossians from start to finish very deeply. And so, you'll remember some things about Colossae. It's a very syncretistic city. Uh, it had a trade route, and people from all different uh, world religions and ideologies and, and philosophies would gather, would cross through this area. So, in other words, the people whose entire lives were wrapped up in who Jesus is, the people who were devoted to Jesus in every aspect of their life were a vast minority in the culture in which they lived. They were surrounded by world religions and all kinds of ideas, and it wasn't the predominant thought what these people did and what these people taught. And so into that culture, Paul writes these words in Colossians 4 verse 2. He says, church, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Can you see there's a lot of help for us in this text? It's about a, a posture that we take on mission in a resistant world. And it begins, you notice, with prayer. Prayer is the beginning of, of mission. And I, I don't want that to sound like a, a Christian cliche or just stuff pastors say. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Listen to that again. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. And I don't know if that's true for you or if it sounds true, or if it feels true. But I can tell you, it feels very true for me that one of the very first things that goes when days are easy is prayer. And one of the very first things that we run to when times are tough is prayer. But when we do it that way, usually the prayer is for us. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, protect me. Lord, make this stuff stop. Which is all fine stuff to pray for. God invites us to talk to Him about those things and to ask those things of Him. But when that's the majority or the only note of our prayer, we're missing something. Here's what Paul says. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Prayer is the beginning of mission. If we're going to be a missional people, a people on mission, 
we're going to have to pray. Well, pastor, how much should we be praying? Like, quantify it. How many minutes a day should I be praying? If I was to, to do the math, I would say the answer would be more is how much we should be praying. The, the, the Greek phrase used here for devote yourself means to continue all the time in a place, to constantly be about it. So for me at least, the, the measurement of how much should I be praying is just simply more. I think about 1 Thessalonians 5, which is a verse I wear on a, a ring, and I, I, I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, it's like I'm praying, it's, it's almost like praying inception. Lord, I pray that I would be praying more <laughs> is the way I'm praying. And, and it says pray without ceasing. And, and what prayer without ceasing doesn't mean is that everywhere you go all the time, you're muttering under your breath, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, that will be done. Hey, how's it going? It's not this, but praying without ceasing means that I'm so constant in fellowship with God. I'm so constantly in communion with God, talking with the Lord that it's as normal to me. Prayer is as normal to me as breathing is to me. So this is the kind of prayer that Paul says we should be praying. He says you should be, pray, be praying in a manner that it's just a part of your everyday life. It's a part of your everyday breathing. It's a part of your everyday focus. Just devote yourself to it all the time. And what kinds of prayers then should I be praying? I mean, is it there are particular prayers? There are particular models? Should I be on my knees? Should I be standing up? Paul gives us some attitudes that we should bring to prayer. He says be devoted, and then he says you should be keeping alert in it in verse 2 that we should pray with alertness. And I think about this phrase in the Bible, watch and pray, and how frequently God's people are called to be people who watch and pray, watch and pray all of the time. And I wonder why is there such an emphasis on us as a people being alert in prayer? Why should we work to be more alert in, in prayer? And I think one reason is because it's so easy for us to fall away from praying and not even realize it. Time will have passed days, weeks, months, and we realize we haven't had a good and honest conversation with God. We, we don't even, even realize it. Another reason is because it's very easy for us to default into listless routine prayers that, that flow from our lips but never actually touch our minds or our hearts. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? How many of you have fallen into a pattern where you realize, if you're honest, that your prayer is just it's just words that are coming out of your mouth, and they're not necessarily attentive to the heart of God or the mind of God or the will of God. They're not ready. You're not ready to move when you see God move, when you hear God move. You're not ready to jump and go. That's praying that's not alert. I'll give you kind of a, a weird illustration. Um, I want you to think about in your mind for a second the job of a sniper. That's strange, but think of the job of a sniper and what it takes to be a sniper. I don't know if you have ever noticed or, or watched in photographs or in video footage of the White House, there are snipers on the roof. Have you noticed that? If not, next time the news is on and they're panning across, look for the snipers. They're there. The Secret Service boasts in their snipers. They say they have the best snipers in the entire world, and they prove it because every month they have to requalify shooting at over 1,000 yards and hitting an accurate target at that distance. And they have to do this because their entire job is to be a people who are on alert, who are always ready, always watching, immediately ready to react and react in the right and precise way. 
I think that's the kind of imagery that Paul is calling for when he says that we should be devoted to prayer all of the time and keeping alert in it. But he doesn't stop there. He says also you should pray with thanksgiving. And I think that's really important to balance the alertness because if we're a people who are devoted all of the time to praying and always alert in it and we're never thankful, then we're going to get the jitters. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You're going to be so wound up being in spiritual battle can be so intense, you will be so wound up, you're going to break at some point, you're going to crack at some point if you can't balance your alertness with thanksgiving, with reminding yourself that God has been doing great things since the beginning, reminding yourself that God has been working for you and working through you and is still accomplishing great things in your life, and that will give you the balance and the encouragement as you continue to pray for open doors for mission in the community around you. Thanksgiving lightens the load. I love one pastor said this. He said, when Paul prays that our, or says that our praying is to be done with thanksgiving, what he means is that we should keep our eyes on the victory of God, right? That we're not losers or even those who are uncertain. We know God wins. He's won before and He wins again. And if we have eyes to see that, we will recognize the path of His power again and again. And praying like this is the beginning of seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the beginning of mission. That's the prayer attitude we need to be a people who are always devoted to prayer with alertness and thanksgiving in our lives. Now, Paul didn't just start this prayer with with attitude. He he now gives you content. Look at verse 3. Here's what to pray, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been imprisoned, that I might make it clearer in the way that I ought to speak. And there's three things here that Paul says that we should all be praying for. And and I'd love for you to take a note on this, to write down or make a note on your phone three things that I should be praying for with devotion and alertness and thanksgiving. One, pray for people sharing the gospel. You should be praying for people sharing the gospel. And that, my friends, should be every one of us. Remember, Spurgeon said, every Christian is a missionary. So this isn't just for professional pastors or for people who leave their jobs and homes and move to the foreign mission field and and are are full-time missionaries in a, a new place. It's not just for people who have the gift of evangelism. And you know some of them. It's like, I'm not good at articulating the gospel. I trip up. I get confused. I get frustrated. I, I mean, I, I'd rather just talk theology or I'd rather just give somebody a cup of water when they're thirsty. But some people are really good at it. And you should pray for them. And you should pray for your pastors. And you should pray for foreign missionaries. But friends, if every Christian is a missionary, you should pray that every Christian is sharing the gospel with somebody that we're all sharing it. Paul said this, pray that I'd share the gospel in the way that I should. In other words, pray that every Christian would have the discernment, they would have the perception and the discernment when and how to not miss even one opportunity to share the gospel with those around us. First thing to pray is pray for people who are sharing the gospel. Second is pray for open doors to share the gospel. If you look back at verse 3, praying at the same time for us, that God will open up to us a door for the Word. Now, remember, Paul's in prison. He he says that in this passage. He's been imprisoned for this, and what does he not pray for? 
that the prison doors would open. And that's not his prayer. His prayer isn't pray that the doors of the prison would open so that I could get out of here and share the gospel. Now, he prays for open doors for the sharing of the word, that wherever he is, whatever condition he finds himself in, that he would always find doors open for receiving for the, the, the gospel. Remember, Jesus once said that there's more joy in heaven over the one soul that has been lost and found, that has repented, than the 99 that already belongs to him. And I think Paul would take that and he would say, for me, wherever I am, as long as there is breath in my body, I will be sharing the gospel. And anything less than that would be unfaithful to the Great Commission. That's how Paul sees it. Paul would do anything to reach for that, that lost one. And so like Paul, we need to be praying for open doors for us to be sharing the gospel with others around us. And listen, people have said, I'm not interested. We've heard that. People have said, I couldn't care less. There's no way I would ever do that church thing again. I need you with me to accept the fact that we can't beat that. No clever strategy, no perfect articulation of the gospel can beat that. But God can, and He has beaten that before. Time and time again since the beginning, He has beaten people's, I couldn't care less, and I would never. He did it with you, He did it with me, and He'll do it again. And so Paul says, pray that He would, just in accordance with His own will, that God would knock open the doors of people's hearts who have said, I couldn't care less. You be faithful in sharing the gospel and pray that God would open those doors that people would receive. And I'll give you one more observation of what Paul says we should pray, because this is a prayer that I, I pray very often for myself. It's verse 4, pray that I may make it clear. Pray for the ability to share the gospel with clarity. Because sometimes that's hard, even though we know it. Even though our head is sure, our heart is sure. Even if you, I memorize the script, in the moment, so many things can distract us. Fear, temptation, spiritual warfare. So many times we miss what's going on in the person's life, the person we're speaking with, and we're talking about this, and they're way over here, and we're just not connecting with them. Pray then that, that God would give you the ability to make it clear just as he would want it to be. Because here's the thing, we want to be a church that makes a difference. No or yes? I mean, I maybe I should have asked, do we want to be a church that makes a difference in the community? Uh, do we want to be a church that's just a building that sits here that people drive by and go, oh yeah, that thing? No. Do we want to be a people who we love gathering, but if we stopped gathering, no one in the community would have any clue? No. We want to be a church that makes a difference in, in this community. And, and so I would tell you this, if you aren't already praying in the way that Paul has called the church to, begin now. Get passionate about it and keep, keep doing it over and over again. And this is the great thing because the church at Colossae, we know that they were healthy Christians. They were a healthy church. Paul, at the beginning of the letter says, and I've heard your reputation. You guys are doing phenomenal. I love it. I love what I hear about you. And he calls them to this because 
It's something everyone can do. They're baby Christians. Even though they're a healthy church, they're, they're infants in walking with the Lord. And this is something that they can jump on board with and do immediately. They haven't had years of ministry experience in the trenches of mission. They haven't had ministry training, theological training that they can fall back on. And I can tell you right now, it's really, really easy for me to fall back on years of experience in ministry or training that I've received and and not jump into praying faithfully in this way with devotion and alertness and thanksgiving, praying that God would open doors, praying for each of you that you would be sharing the gospel and praying that God would win souls. It's easy to fall back into the patterns of things we've learned and not be active in prayer like this. And so if you're in Christ, you're, you're on mission. You have a place in His mission. You, you in every way, if you're in Christ, you're found to be called on, on mission. So here's what you do. You start talking to, to God about people. And you keep doing it. You keep talking to God about people over and, and over again. It's like the first half. The second half of this sermon is verses 5 and 6. Paul talks about praying, and then he talks about how we live. Listen to verse 5 and 6. It's so simple, but it's so hard for us. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Doesn't that sound easy? Don't we fall on our face all the time at this? Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Paul says the way that we live, our lifestyle should be marked by, should be trademarked by wisdom toward outsiders. That the way we live should be so compelling to people, it causes them to ask questions. Paul's talking to people who are living in a hostile environment. And he wants them to engage others effectively in proclaiming the gospel. He wants every Christian Every single one of them demonstrating in their lives and the way they decide things, the way they react to things, the way that they, they chase things in life, he wants it to always reflect Jesus' teachings and Jesus' own characteristics and his manner as they go throughout life. And not only does he say you should be wise, but you should always be wise. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Please do not waste even one moment where you could be declaring demonstrating, proclaiming the good news to people around you. Jeff Vanderstelt said this, and I love this phrase. He said, we should live in such a way that it would demand a Jesus explanation. That's good, right? We should live in such a way that people are like, what is going on here? And the only answer could be Jesus. And I think in a resistant culture, this is what it takes in a culture where people, more and more people, just they don't care about, about what, what the church has to say. They're just not going back there again. This is what it takes. The most powerful and most potent thing a church can do to reach people who just aren't that interested in us or our Jesus is to let them see changed lives, to let them see changed hearts, to let them see truly changed attitudes. And here's the deal. If you and I respond to the news in the same way that a person who's far from God responds to the news, that's not it. And if you and I sound like the Facebook and Twitter trolls, that's not it. And if you sound like the pundits and the politicians and the maniacs and the conspiracy theorists, that's not it. And if you run after you pursue with your life and your whole heart all of the same things that everyone else in the world is pursuing, that's not it. 
right? And if in general you behave and you act and you smell and you sound and you look Y'all, just nothing, like the general population, absolutely nothing compares not to it. a life found in Jesus. If we understand anything about nothing gospel, ever could compare and how Jesus to who Jesus to is and who He life. has created you to be. To change us from the inside out. If He is changing nothing, us, then guess what? I can't say it more simply than nothing this. Nothing compares should be different. to Jesus. We should be vastly different. Like Second was a true Corinthians three in Acts chapter nine, when Saul meets him, and we're it's a true statement like today. Christ, where I from hope one you degree of glory to the next. Well. And if Y'all that's true, that. we should be vastly different than anyone else in the world. God would come before you this morning. It should morning. be what Vanderbilt said. We should live in such a way that it demands a Jesus explanation. They'll see something different about us in our priorities by your grace and our manners. And your love. And the things that we chase and the way that we respond to tough times and the way that we celebrate good times, everything will just look different and it will be noticeable. And people will go, what is going on with these folks? God, I pray this morning that we would find our identity in you, that we would find our only hope, our only peace. And then verse 6, he says this. That we would find everything we are in who you are. Always be with grace. God, show us what it is that you have for us. Show us the plans that you have created for each one of our lives, God, and show us how much better those plans are when we trust you with everything that we have. That our tone is going to be harsh or judgmental or arrogant. God, work in us. Speak through us. God, and empower us to take that God-given identity out to this world. The name of Christ. To share it with people who so desperately, desperately need to hear your message. That when Christians speak, God, your goodness never fails. What did Paul say? Help us never to forget that grace. The word grace, it's actually deeper and more profound than, than we may realize at first reading. The word literally means that which affords joy. In addition, delight. In addition, goodwill and good intentions. In addition, loving kindness. That's a pretty robust definition. That I should speak in such a way that people go, I see joy and delight. I believe there's always good intention and goodwill and loving kindness coming from this man. And I wonder if that's the vibe that people actually pick up when they speak with me. And I don't mean just on the stage or in formal ministry when I've got my, my hat on and myself all prayed up and prepared. I mean in everyday life, like when I'm talking with, with other parents uh, from my kid's school and we're having conversations, or when I'm, I'm working with a mechanic or a vendor and maybe I'm confused or I don't like how the situation's going. Do they pick up the grace vibe from me in those moments? Even when we disagree, to peak, people pick up the, the grace vibe coming from my lips and from my heart. Do they go, man, this guy, I don't get it. He's unusually kind. Like he doesn't seem to get thrown off. He's unusually peaceful, and I believe he has good intentions all the time. I really believe that about him. I wonder if that's the vibe that we throw off as we talk with people. The phrase that Paul uses to continue that, he says, let there always be grace in your words. He says, as though seasoned with salt. And, and surely, uh, surely Paul heard Jesus say or heard that Jesus had said that the Christians, that the church should be like salt and light to the world around them. And we've made a lot of that metaphor, the salt metaphor. We know salt preserves, it's a preservative. We know salt brings flavor, it brings delight and flavor to a meal or to, to life. 
But I found there's another meaning or another usage of salt consistently in the Bible that I think is really beautiful here, very profound. Numbers 18, 19. It talks about the duties of a Levite. Let me read this. It says, All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I've given to you and your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. It's not the only place you find it. Second Chronicles. Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel, this is to David and his household, gave the rule of Israel forever to David and his sons by, that's why I say it, a covenant of salt. Let's look at one more. Leviticus. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, moreover, you shall season with salt so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Seems like there's a meaning here that we're picking up that a covenant of salt refers to a, a unique and special kind of bond, an impenetrable bond, a permanent bond between the Lord and His people where, where, where things are just as they should be. And in the ancient world, sitting down and eating a proper meal, it forms a bond. I mean, even today, Justin, you talked about sitting over a meal last night with people, and sharing salt with people gives you an opportunity to bond with them. In the ancient world, ingesting salt would be a way that someone would make an agreement legally binding. They would come together, and with witnesses, they would eat salt, and that's what would make their agreement solid and sure. And so, for us, when we think about the covenant of salt, you get the picture that the biggest use of salt is this idea of unbreaking vow, of unbreaking permanence, that God's relationship with us is so sure. It's so profoundly sure, not shaking because it's been given to us in Christ that we never have to worry about it, that through Christ we have entered into this salt covenant with the Lord, and we could say to somebody, there's bread and salt between me and God. What a unique, what a unique thing to say about a relationship between you and the Creator of the heavens and earth. There's bread and salt between us. And what does that have to do with us being seasoned with salt in our words or being the salt of the, the earth to the world around us? Well, all of those things. <laughs> Every, every one of those things. We become a covenant of salt people. We have this unique bond with God, and that's a relationship that's not going anywhere. It's not going backwards. It's been made sure in Christ, and it's not like I'm, you know, I'm kind of okay with God right now, but I don't know how I'll be next week or next month. It's I have an unbreakable covenant with the Lord, and guess what? This covenant isn't closing life on, on us like so many people think it is. Man, if I follow God, life will just close in on me, but it does the very opposite. Life with God is salty and savory and secure. It is not the dull, sanctimonious picture that people have of Christians. And Paul says our words should reflect that. In other words, when we speak with people about God and we speak with people about life and faith, it should be salty. It should be delicious. It, it should be full of joy and delight. It should be witty. It should be thoughtful. It should be content. And surely it should be robust and full. That's how we should talk about God. That's how we should talk about having a life of faith, not with timidity, but with, with profound security and surety in the goodness and the greatness of our God. So, how do we get there, Pastor? 
Like, is there a class? Do we have a class at Legacy Church on salty gospel sharing? Next week, we're, no, we're not. <laughs> I, I turn you to what Jesus said. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth do speak, right? Now, the translation says, whatever the heart is full of, the mouth will, will speak of. And that takes us back to prayer, doesn't it? it? Takes us back to prayer. That we should constantly be in this back and forth communication with God. We should be constantly speaking with God in such a way that we know Him. We see Him. We see what He loves. We see what breaks His heart. We know Him. We savor Him. We love Him. Do you know what the most effective evangelistic strategy in the world has ever been? Talk about what you know. That's true across the board. Talk about what you know. And if you're constantly praying, if you're constantly in communion with God, you'll know Him. If you know Him, you'll know exactly what to talk about. And that constant communication with Him will flow out into the world with grace, with clarity, and with just a little bit of salt. Bottom line is this. If your identity is in Christ, if you're a Christian, then you have a place in His mission. And through the years, you'll find, you'll learn about yourself with nuance and understanding the gifting that God has given you to be most effective in in mission. But for every one of us, there's two things that we're called to according to this text. We're called to talk to God about people, and we're called to talk to people about God over and over and over and over and over again. Put it on, rinse, and repeat. We're called to talk to God about people. We're called to talk to people about God. That's the upward call of this text for us living on mission in this world. And I want to I I carve out some time for you this morning to do just that, to begin talking to God about people. Some of you, you're just picking up where you left off this morning or last night or, or earlier this week, and some of you, maybe this is a weird foreign kind of thing. I, I want to create some space for you, though, to begin speaking with God about people. And what I want you to do, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to start a prayer You've already, as you've looked at this text, seen the kind of attitude and the, the kind of content that you can be praying. But let me get us rolling, and then I'm going to step off stage, and I am going to give you a couple of minutes. And, and Laura's just going to play uh, underneath while you're praying, but we're not going to rush this moment. So would you pray with me? Father, first and foremost, We thank you and praise you that that we don't live by a gospel of prove yourself worthy of acceptance and love. And Father, thank you that that though at one time we were enemies of God, that we believed that we had to prove ourselves and we were setting a course for ourselves, that you broke through. You broke through to our minds and our hearts, to the very experiences of our lives, and reached our souls and said, My child, through Jesus, your, sin, your sins will be forgiven. And for everyone in this room who came to a moment where they, they stopped pursuing life on their own, but, but we've entrusted our life and our faith, our present and our future in Jesus' hands, we say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a new identity that we're yours, child of God, brother of Jesus Christ, co-heir, priests before our God, and missionaries to the world around us. And this morning, would you bring to mind 
the many, and I know it's many, the many people we encounter throughout the week who just have not received life and salvation in Jesus Christ to this moment, and there's no other way to say it, but they need you. And over the next couple of minutes, Lord, would you help us to understand how how much it breaks your heart for even one soul to miss life and how much joy there is in heaven when one turns to you. And would you help our hearts to join with yours, that our hearts would break for what breaks yours and would leap for what you love. Now, church, take a couple of minutes and just pray for people the Lord has placed around you in your life where you work, live, and play and that he would give you open doors and he would give you opportunity and he would give you strength and courage and wisdom to be his ambassador this week. This is your time.